0: They never once asked about the cost or any of that. He simply asked me, when's it going to be there for me?
1: This is episode 296 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. We first took note of Emmett, Idaho about two years ago when the city was in the process of constructing a fiber optic network to provide connectivity for its municipal facilities. At the time, they had already made plans for the future which involved using publicly owned infrastructure to connect businesses and possibly one day fiber to the home for residents. A lot has happened in Emmett since then. In this interview, Christopher talks with Mike Knittel. He describes how the project is moving along and how Emmett has discovered new ways to use their infrastructure beyond what they'd initially planned and possibilities for the future. Mike also gets into how lack of quality connectivity has the community embracing the project. Now here's Christopher with Mike Knittel from Emmett, Idaho.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self Reliance up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, sitting under a fresh coat of snow, waiting for the next fresh coat of snow. We're having a proper Minnesota weekend up here. Um, but up today I'm talking with Mike Knittle, the systems administrator for Emmett in Idaho. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate the invite.
2: Absolutely. I had a fun time sharing a table, talking with you a bit at a, the Ammon unveiling maybe six months ago now. Uh, Ammon, a, a longtime favorite community of ours, and uh sounds like you're doing really great things in Emmett. so I'm excited to learn more about them. Uh, but let's start with just a, a brief description of Emmett. for, I'm guessing, most people who uh, haven't uh, been to Emmett.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Emmett uh, sits just outside of Boise, Idaho. Uh, we're kind of a bedroom community to Boise, definitely rural, um, and we're about seven thousand people. So, uh, hopefully, a lot of people uh, listening to the podcast can kind of relate to our similar uh, situation and setup. And you know, you mentioned uh, the city of Ammon, and I got to say, you're right; they are um, a leader in our state, without a doubt, for um, some of these projects and have definitely helped us along the way with advice and uh, really appreciate everything they're doing on their end.
2: That's great. One of the things that, that we've been learning is the extent to which they're a leader in the nation. Actually, we just found a, a city in Alabama that uh, was considering what they could do to improve internet access, and they watched that video that that we helped to do. I know that communities in Ohio have also benefited from that. So uh, you know, it's it's terrific. I'm really glad that they're uh, lending that helping hand locally too. But you, you have an interesting approach. I think, um, you know, in some ways, you're definitely going your own way. Uh, You started with uh, some investments for municipal assets, as many communities have. Why don't you walk us through what you're doing?
0: I'll probably take even one step even further back from that just to kind of set that stage for kind of where we've come from and where we're at now and where we're going to. But it, we're we're kind of a unique situation, as is a lot of rural communities. Um, you know, like I said, very small, 7,000 people. So up until just two years ago, um, our city actually had really no structured IT support. So you know you have multiple departments throughout the city, everything from police, fire, public works, cemetery, parks department, um, library. You know all these different departments that were kind of literally doing their own thing, right? So everybody had their own servers, everybody had their own internet contracts, phone service contracts. It was just, it was very segmented, but you know I don't think it's necessarily untypical for. Um, communities our size to kind of be in that situation, if you will.
2: Yeah, I actually think that that's not uncommon for cities of any size, it seems like. And um, just to to give a sense, I mean, one of the things that that's probably frustrating as a, as a person with the title systems administrator would be, you know, if you had to call another department, you had to pick up the phone and dial a seven digit number rather than having like an internal system that would be a lot easier and, and probably be up more.
0: Absolutely, you're, you're 100% correct. The city finally got to the point where they they recognized the value of um, having that in-house structured IT support, right? Um, so they created the systems administration department just uh, two years or so ago, um, and I've been heading that up since then. And you know, one of my main goals out of the gate was just getting our city facilities connected, right? So we could share those same type of resources. Like you mentioned, something as simple as a phone or phone system um, that would be, you know, internal on the city's network. So that was one of the first things that we set out to do. You know, we, we did what I think most people do. And we went to uh, an incumbent provider and said, Hey, if we want fiber to each of our facilities, you know, what, what does that look like? And, and, When we got that quote back, it kind of put us back on our heels a little bit because, again, being a rural community, um, the city doesn't have a lot of, you know, capital expenditure, especially for a brand new department to facilitate some of those needs, especially at those expenses. And so one of the things that, you know, we immediately identified is I went to um, a guy that I work very closely with, Clint, in our public works department and, you know, went over this price quote with him. And, you know, we, we both fairly quickly identified like, Hey, we could probably build this for a lot cheaper than going this route with the incumbent. And then we own the infrastructure. So, you know, we're in a good situation where the city owns the streets and the alleys and all the right of ways. Um, we have the construction equipment on hand. Um, we have the crews on hand and I will tell you what, um, none of this for us would be possible without our the, the help and teamwork with our public works departments. And, you know, I, I always tell people that small communities are always resilient and they're very adaptive. So when they're faced with these things, um, you know, I didn't have any experience building fiber. Uh, Clinton, his staff didn't have any experience really building fiber, but we made that determination like we're going to do this as a team. And our public works department really has that go getter attitude and let's let's get this done so you know you start forming kind of those uh, I guess inner city partnerships and and you can really get a lot accomplished for a relatively you know low price point so that's exactly what we did we've started to uh, even though again we're only a short term into our project um, that's what we've started to do so we've we've essentially adapted a an in-house kind of "dig once" policy, right? So now, when Public Works has a road project or a water or a sewer project, we're evaluating that for, you know, space for fiber conduit, right, and in fiber cable, and saying, hey, is there value here to to co-mingle these projects? And once the trench is open, we lay the conduit and the fiber in the pole boxes, and away we go. And so that's been working very, very well.
2: I have to say that that once again I you know this is the same reaction I had uh, Ammon also um you know had great coordination with the public works and maybe there's something in the water in Idaho but uh one of the things that we hear that commonly derails projects is not getting that reaction. <laughs> Let me just put an exclamation mark right there because it's really worth noting that public works, um, when they react negatively, they can really kill a project. So having them not only on board but enthusiastic is, is tremendous, and people should know that.
0: Oh, it's a game changer. There's no doubt. And, and I said it before. I'll say it again. I could not do what we're doing without their camaraderie and teamwork that goes into it. There's no doubt. And you know that's one thing that I will say about our project so far, too. We have literally done everything in-house. Whether it's fusion splicing the fiber, I take care of that. Public works helps with the construction side and does all that. Um, we pull our own cable. We've done it so far, 100% in-house. Now I realize that there's that that may change from in time with some special needs that we might have that we don't have that capability. But so far, that's really what is driving us too. And there's a lot of sense of accomplishment with that too. It's been working very well so far. And
2: do you plan on doing locates? Is that something that, that Public Works already did where you know if a homeowner is going to dig up the yard, they're supposed to call a number and then you identify things under the ground, for instance? Do you handle that yourself?
0: Absolutely. So, you know, our public works, uh, obviously has already does that for their utility for sewer water, that kind of infrastructure. And so we are, um, and when I say we, the systems administration department is taking on that responsibility for the fiber utility. We, we take care of all that.
2: Great. So what's, uh, what's next? I mean, you're, you're serving your municipal functions. Um, and that's going to, I'm sure result in some savings, but do you have greater ambitions to, uh, improve internet access for others?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of, it's very interesting because you always, um, I kind of think, start small, right? So back to getting our own facilities connected, you know, that was our focal point. But one thing that we really took on the mindset of is let's make sure and build in the capacity for future growth. We don't know what that future growth necessarily is going to look like Let's build the capacity, and what I, what I, specifically what I mean is we're putting in three or four conduits uh, at a time, right, because the conduit's the cheap part. It's the construction and getting it in the ground that's the expensive part. So so we've really taken that mindset of, okay, we don't know what this is going to bring for the future, but let's build plenty of growth. So you kind of start there, right? And then the focus being, okay, we're going to get our faci- your, our city facilities connected. That's all great. But then you start to really realize what you can leverage the network for and the infrastructure for beyond just kind of those immediate needs. So, so we, we fortunately, just geographically, the way we were laid out, we were able to get fiber to our city water tower um, very quickly. And the way that our city's kind of set, we're in a valley. Uh, so the water tower's a, a pretty high point. So I was almost immediately able to connect all of our facilities through a, a, a fixed-base wireless deployment that's backhauled by our fiber optics. And so, you know, with that, we were able to immediately change to, a you know, an IP-based phone system, like you mentioned earlier, that's, you know, saved us a ton of money, shared broadband infrastructure for, for the city facilities. Again, as things kind of evolve you realize, wow, okay, there's some more stuff we can do here. So for instance, um, you know, we get uh, cameras up at our city facilities for, you know, public safety, that sort of thing that is all backhauled on the fiber infrastructure. One of the other things that we are excited about doing is uh, as we build out the network and the infrastructure, we're deploying public access Wi-Fi, right? So we, our Wi-Fi system is set up to where, you know, our staff can connect and stay connected at any city facility, whether that be a park or the cemetery or uh, well sites, um, so that they can stay connected to the infrastructure they need to. But we're also able to segregate a part of that network uh, to allow, you know, guest access for the public Uh, to enjoy being connected at those various facilities. So I'll give you one quick example. Um, Our main city park, which is the largest one um, that we have, is we have that blanketed with uh, Wi-Fi access points. So one of the things we're able to do that we're very excited about is we have a yearly event, like many communities do. Ours is called the Cherry Festival, where you have the carnival and vendors and so forth come in, and is sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce, is the one who really facilitates that event. Historically, the vendors would come in, and the chamber would have to facilitate some sort of connectivity for those vendors to, you know be able to process credit card transactions or whatever that might be. Um, And now for the last couple of years, we've really been able to help them facilitate where we will actually set up a secure private section of the network for those vendors. So we, we provision the network, give them secure connected access at maybe even a higher rate than what we would the normal public. We don't charge them a dime for that. We're able to facilitate that in just a few minutes of me provisioning the network to do it. So those are some things that we're starting to see. One of the other things that we, we realized we could start leveraging is, and this seems like such a small scale maybe to some folks, but, you know, in our, in the same city park, we have a set of two different sets of bathrooms. So four bathrooms, um, historically in the evening, either the police department or public works department was responsible for getting out and locking those bathrooms, uh, to prevent vandalism over the nighttime hours. When you do that, that's all fine and that method works, but if there's a better, more efficient way, that's what we're starting to look to leverage our broadband infrastructure. So what we ended up doing is installing Wi-Fi connected locks on all those bathrooms. Well, now we can set lock schedules back to things or events like the Cherry Festival. We can issue out special entry codes to for for folks to be able to get in for certain folks to be able to get in to utilize the facilities and now we've eliminated and been more efficient of our staff's time they no longer have to go out and if the police department's busy with calls as they usually are sometimes those those jobs wouldn't even get done so we've really started to leverage this broadband infrastructure for kind of those outside the box things to improve the efficiency and operations uh of the city that's been really exciting.
2: And I think it's it's worth noting that your ability to add these sorts of things to your network, I think – Uh, You're unconstrained. Uh, You know, if you were leasing, um, even if you had Wi-Fi in the park, but you were leasing access to it, uh, you might be thinking a little differently because you don't have full control over it. You don't know if it's going to be there in future years or this and that. But you know, am I right? Are you? Do you have like a set of certainty because you have ownership of the network that allows you to think differently of how to use it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, we've really cut our own red tape, right? So the mindset changes from. You know whether I'm contracting it out or so forth. So forth. What are they going to let me do, as opposed to what can we do? What's the most? You know, what, we're, we're really trying to be creative with um, different avenues that will not only improve our efficiency but service citizens better. So that's you know another thing uh, to, to lead into that too is you know we recently started to deploy our first uh, purple air air quality sensor, right? Once again, leverages our, our broadband infrastructure to pull real-time data for air quality that can then be disseminated to the citizens to make better decisions, right? So in Idaho, we, we, our, especially our county where we reside, we have a lot of forestry in the nearby counties. So when we get, say, like a forest fire during the summer, it's not uncommon to get a huge influx of smoke and other pollutants and, you know, then there's, there's decisions that start to be made by things like the school district and so forth that like, hey, do we need to cancel sports practices? And there's resources out there, right, that you can get things like air quality reports for your area, but it's not the same when you can have direct, vocalized, pinpointed accuracy of those readings to be able to, to help the public make better decisions.
2: I think that's one of the things that that we're seeing from more of these devices being deployed is just how variable it can be just even over you know a square mile you can have dramatically different readings in different areas
0: absolutely and again the the more detailed the data that you can provide and r- realistically, especially at the price point I mean we're not talking about very much money to be able to deploy things like this uh, it's it's just a no brainer you have the infrastructure there and you 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 add on to the and leverage the broadband that you have, so that's huge. And we're looking forward to deploying more of those sensors. Uh, like I said, we literally just put out our first one uh, a couple of months ago, and have really been testing with it lately. And, and look forward to moving forward with that more.
2: Now, when you were financing the network or figuring out, you know, how to put the money together, did you benefit from a grant from the state?
0: We did. So uh, one of the most recent grants uh, that we received was to around forty thousand dollar mark, which actually. When we are doing our own construction, $40,000 does go a long way for us. Uh, it'll it'll en- enable us to deploy conduit and fiber for about a 13-block length of a main street in our city. And we have married this up with – it's actually a number of different projects. Uh, there's a, a new water transmission line, new water service lines for the residents – um, a section of it includes a sewer replacement, and then there's a road project, and now we've, we've co-mingled it with this project as well. So we are really maximizing tax dollars in these projects and these deployments. Does it sometimes take a little bit longer? You bet. I mean, if we had all the money in the world, we could contract it all out and, and get it done very quickly, but we're being very smart about it, and it allows us to scale Um, ourselves as well when it comes to the maintenance and operations of the network.
2: And you mentioned that there's some uh, cost savings from having uh, your own voice system rather than obviously leasing to each different uh, physical location, a different bill and uh, and charge. Um, On the overall, would you say that this is saving the city money or has it been something where uh, it may cost more, but the benefits are worth it?
0: So it is absolutely saving us money. There's no doubt. We did that study. It is saving us a huge chunk of money, which then allows us to reinvest that money in other parts of the network or the build-out, right? So, again, improving the efficiency in the way that we do things allows us to really stretch that tax dollar and maximize it to its full potential.
2: And so, where would you like to see yourself in in five years? I mean, what, how will telecommunications look different in Emmett in, in five years, Mike?
0: It's very interesting. And again, we're still very much in that phase of um, connecting our facilities and and building out with a, a broader concept in mind. So, although I don't have all of the answers yet as to where I see it, the things that I am seeing is that there's there's very much community support for for this. And I'll give you an example. I, I recently was asked to, to do a presentation on the fiber optic for our rotary group. So rotary being the civic organization um, that's across the country. And it was interesting because it was my first kind of public uh, presentation on the fiber and, and the concepts of fiber and kind of how it works. And as I was setting up for that presentation at at a lunch meeting, I'm kind of looking around the room and and let me remind you, I mean, Idaho is one of the most conservative states in the union. I mean, we're very, very red and especially Emmett's, very agricultural based. So I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing like these old farmers and I'm thinking to myself, oh boy, uh, I'm not sure how they're going to react. And what I mean by react is, do they feel like, the local municipalities should be in this realm of building their own fiber optic network.
2: Right. I mean, there is that stereotype of, do these people even care about internet access? I mean, is it something they feel is important to their livelihood, to their quality of life?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And even if they found it to be important to them, once again, do they believe that we should be the ones
2: right. meddling
0: in it? So, so those are the things that are kind of going through my mind. So I'm kind of getting a little nervous. But as I go through the presentation, it's very interesting to see people's reactions. And, and I'll never forget, one gentleman that was there owns a, a business in our, in our downtown heart District. And he never once, they never once asked about the cost or any of that. He simply asked me, when's it going to be there for me? That's what he cared about. I want it now. When's it going to be there? Right. So even as the meeting progressed, um, these farmers are, are sitting kind of quietly. Uh, as it progresses, what I'm finding is that the questions that they're starting to ask are um, more of, well, why isn't the incumbent providers, shame on them. Why have they not built out and... and improved our speeds and our access. Shame on them. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of actually support saying thank you type of thing, right? And I'll never forget one of the farmers that came up to me after the meeting. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a farmer. I'm not in the agricultural business. I don't know how farmers specifically use broadband. I, I know there's a lot of technology out there uh, that, that is being leveraged in the agricultural sector. Um, but it was very intriguing to me because I asked him. Uh, he's th- this particular farmer is was on, is on a fixed based uh, wireless service, you know, slower speeds, uh, pretty high bill. And I said, hey, what? So what, tell me, what do you use broadband for for your business? And he says, it's a lot for us. We do everything from our supply ordering, uh, feeding schedules. He says my tractors are all connected through cellular uh, for. Uh, rotations of planting that sort of thing, and I was just kind of blown away. I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's awesome. And so he was again. He was very supportive of of kind of that initiative. And in the presentation, he wasn't even necessarily a, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it to get to you guys. It was more of a, this is why the city started to head down this path to save money to connect. Here's kind of what we have in mind. You know, broader scope, and here's how fiber kind of functions and what sets it apart from, you know, a typical copper type network. So even with limited details, they were, um, I would say, energized. I, res- I have not received any negative pushback in anybody that I've come across in, in my city. Uh, as we talk about it. It's been very interesting.
2: Yeah, that's, that fits broadly with the experience that, that we've heard from others. Um, I, I think that elected officials are often cautious about this, and I, I certainly think that they have some good reasons to be. But I think those who are demonstrating some real leadership on the issue often find that people are hungry for it, and they really want to see more action because they have given up on hoping that some big company that's headquartered you know, 3,000 miles away is actually going to do anything for them.
0: Right, right, uh,
2: so is there anything else that we should touch on from, Emmett, before we wrap it up?
0: You know, I, I think uh, just as again, just to give people ideas uh, in other municipalities, uh, the one project that we're gonna start to explore, and I don't know how this will pan out yet, but we're gonna we're gonna give it a test run is and again, this comes back to that making efficient use of our time and money leveraging our broadband. But one of the things that we're going to be looking at is um, automated uh, water collection, water meter collections, right? So um, deploying a device that connects to the network that will receive those water readings from all of the the water utilities out there. So currently right now, we have staff that goes out with um, wireless handheld devices and literally has to walk the routes of the water meters to collect that data and bring it back to uh, the city hall for billing purposes and that sort of thing. We're going to look at this um, leveraging the network to deploy um, essentially kind of small sites that would collect that data, you know, that would eliminate staff time, a lot of staff time having to go out and collect that information. But it's an, it's one more step, uh, the icing on the cake for the citizens is that right now they have really no way unless they call city hall and request to go have their water meter read to see what their current usage is. Well, with a system like this, the system automatically takes readings every 15 minutes. So again, we're back to that real time data to be able to provide the citizens to make smart decisions. You know, a lot of the problems that we see kind of day in and day out are things as simple as water leaks cost people a lot of money because they have no idea that they might have a water leak under their house or something like that. But a system like this, then all of a sudden sets it up for not only efficient use of your employees' time, I mean, that's what pays for the system, but then the icing on the cake is being able to be alerted or notified that, hey, you might have a problem, you might check your water service. So it turns your local government into being more proactive rather than reactive to those types of issues. So we're excited about exploring that and seeing where that takes us.
2: Excellent. That's a great place to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about what you're doing. And I think serving as an inspiration for many other communities that are trying to do something like this.
0: Absolutely. And we're always willing to help, Chris. I appreciate you having us on the show. Uh, and if anybody ever has questions, comments, we're always uh, available and willing.
1: That was Christopher with Mike Knittel from the city of Emmett in Idaho discussing their fiber optic network project. We have transcripts from this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. You can follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at Muni Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. Access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for our theme song, Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed to Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to Episode 296 of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast.